Broadcasting live from the offices of policebackground.net. This is the Police Applicant Podcast with your host, Ken Royball. Hey, welcome everybody to another episode of the Police Applicant Podcast, episode 54. And I'm here with my amazing, uh, close to awake uh, co-host Minerva. Minerva's not. As we get through, as we get through the, the episode, Minerva will wake up more and more. I feel it. Good morning, uh, Minerva. Good morning. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. It's a new year. It's the beginning <laughs> of the third season. I'm yeah. Up. <laughs> this is episode. This is this is episode fifty-four, but it's episode one of season three. So that's pretty cool. And uh, before we get into the. Um, into the interview with our guest. I just want to make, I only have one little announcement to make. I want to say that our studio, uh, we just got billed for our studio and it's been fully paid by two of our monthly uh, supporters. So oh, that was pretty guys. cool. Yeah, we appreciate you guys doing that. And uh, so that's really cool. Uh, but I want to get right into this interview, Minerva. This, this is a, a, a really great interview. And so I want to invite, I want to invite, golly, now you're making, you're making me, <laughs> I feel tired now. Um, Wake I, up, Ken. <laughs> <laughs> I want to welcome our special guest, Colette. And uh, Colette is a retired uh, sheriff's lieutenant out of Virginia. And uh, Colette, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. And happy new year to you guys. I'm really excited to be here. I've been listening to you guys. I think you're amazing. You're doing great work and I'm just really happy to be a part. Well, that's cool. We, Yay. you know, what's interesting is that, uh, uh, I met Colette on, uh, on Instagram and I really like your, your username on Instagram. I won't, I won't give it, I won't give it away, but I like your username. <laughs> and, uh, and then I, and then we spoke and I said, you would be amazing I saw one of her posts. I said, you would be amazing for the podcast. And uh, we were talking and I did not realize, I started going through the internet because I, because I do all kinds of sleuthing and seeing what the background is and stuff. And as soon as I, <clears throat> as soon as I um, started looking into Colette's bio, her background, man, I had to stop because there's so much amazing stuff. She's done more in her lifetime than most people have, you know, have done in their entire lifetime. And so I think that's going to be a really cool thing to, to get into as well. Um, but uh, again, Colette, welcome. And um, so what we're going to talk about today, guys, is that Colette is uh, not only very accomplished in many different uh, arenas and including police work, but um, she also uh, actively mentors uh, younger people who want to be on the job. So I think we want to talk a little bit about that. So this is going to be mm-hmm. uh, uh, an information-filled podcast. And before we get started, I want to uh, ask Colette, if you could tell us about, I have your bio sitting right in front of me, and this is the really, <laughs> the really abbreviated version of it. But I spoke to you about, mm-hmm. your, about your background, and I, I really like to expand on that. How you got from, from when you first... Uh, well, I guess since high school into the, when you became a police officer, and there's a lot in there. So if you could just kind of share your your background, what you've done, where you were born. I mean, not, I mean, not, you don't have to get into that, but uh, but all the things. <laughs> yeah. I'd like to. I'd like our our 
audience to know who we're talking to today and what your background is. <laughs> so, sure. So I grew up in New York and from New York at my father was an FBI agent. So we grew up in the Bronx and stayed there until I was about eight or nine years old. And we migrated up to the Northern Virginia area as my father got transferred up to headquarters, the FBI headquarters. So I initially, when I, I started playing soccer prior to getting into the, all this law enforcement stuff and in New York, they didn't have little girls teams. So I played on all the little boys teams as we were getting into New York, into the New York area, migrated up to the DC area. And I eventually got on, they had more girls teams and everything like that. So I was on uh, quite a few teams in the local areas here in Northern Virginia. And I began to, I began to excel at the sport and I really enjoyed playing. So that being said, I started playing on higher and higher teams as time went along. And we uh, got to the college college times, deciding where to go to college. I got a full scholarship to North Carolina State University and played uh, overseas in Italy for about oh. five years wow. and also with the um, United States national team. And I also during this whole time frame, again, this is before jumping into law enforcement, um, I was the first woman in the United States to play for a men's professional indoor soccer team. And it was out of Washington, D.C. called the Washington Warthogs. Wow. That was. Yeah. So that was sort of all between growing up and after in college, after college. Uh, my experience was typically solely soccer. I Did called myself like the athlete student not the student athlete <laughs> <laughs> so you were just like a teenager when when your soccer career kind of started then yes uh, more more seriously yes so yeah. i started when i was little but it became more serious around the high school age wow that's pretty cool that's uh, that's pretty uh that's really amazing cuz soccer is i've seen the soccer player and and these when you watch the videos, I don't follow soccer, but I've seen the highlights and things like that. And that's kind of a brutal sport. It, people think you just kick the ball back and forth. Back. But those those players are rough. They're pretty rough. And it is. So and It is. It is rough. And it gets a little more rough when you're playing in an international level. So when you're watching games, you know, with the kids and all, it's a different level, college, a different level. And obviously, when you get to the international level, it's, it's a lot different. So how did now, you? How was it? Oh, good. How was it being a female working in a men's team or playing, I'm sorry, in a men's team? Because I'm assuming, I mean, I I grew up watching soccer. My dad would take me to the soccer games. I grew up watching the World Cup. Like that's something my family did. So I know men can be very rough. It's a very rough sport. Like Ken said, you know, they'll push you around and it has it requires a lot of stamina, too. There's a lot of running involved. So what was that like for you as a woman? Yeah. So initially I was playing. I was on the national team, kind of on the bubble, you know, you're brought in and out of camps all the time. It's never a consistent thing um, unless you're like the Michelle Akers, Mia Hams and all them. Uh, I was on the bubble. So I was in and out of training camps a lot. And um, so when I went to the Warthogs, they had asked me if I wanted to try out at that point. It was, I think me, I know you, you guys may have heard of Mia Ham. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Some yes. people don't know the soccer world. 
um, we played in high school together and, and around that time frame, she was, they had wanted one of us to attempt to play on the Washington Warthogs. She was busy with a million other things. And so I had tried out and they had told me from the beginning, obviously there's no guarantees that they wanted to see if a woman would fit in and be able to uh, play at that level. Indoor soccer is a little bit different than the outdoor soccer field. So when you're talking about uh, the the fields aren't as big, it's mm-hmm. it's a lot more technical than it is like running up and down the field because the field's smaller. So it was difficult to keep up with. Uh, however, I'm I was very good technically, so I was able to fit in. The guys were very welcoming. Uh, some of the other teams because we traveled all around the country. And some of the other teams uh, were not as accepting of it, but my guys always had my back and uh, I proved myself. So, yeah, they were very welcoming my team. It was a little different. We had we played at US Air Arena, which is no longer. And I had my own locker room, which was the Capitals locker room. Actually, I was alone in their locker room and the guys would suit up in their area or whatever and tap on my door when they were ready to let me in. (laughs) Uh, But it was good time. And it was I learned a lot from them. And I learned a lot about men, probably too much. And uh, it was a good time. And I learned a lot. Yeah. (laughs) Did you get a chance to, to travel around Europe quite a bit? Yes, I did. When I was playing in Italy, we traveled a lot. A lot of it was through soccer, though. So a lot of people say, oh, you saw all these things. And sometimes you don't see a lot because when you're getting to these locations, you have to, you know, start getting your diet set up and training and sleep, recovery, all those things. So it's not as easy to travel as people think. But I did travel a lot. (laughs) Like a tourist traveling around Europe. Correct. You're you're an athlete. So you have schedules, you have curfews and stuff like that. Exactly. So then you graduated college and you went into the, into the uh, sports, uh, uh, sports profession. And then somewhere around 1999 or, or about that time, you decided that you wanted to make the transition to law enforcement. And uh, is that when you joined? So I knew I always knew I wanted to go into law enforcement because my dad was FBI and I was a daddy's girl. And he, you know, used to take home his cases and talk about his work. And I was so excited to jump into his work every night. He would bring little cases home. I'm sure it meant they weren't major cases or anything, but he let me delve into them with him. And it, it was always exciting. And he did some exciting things. And he would write me letters when he was on surveillance and stuff like that. I thought it was the coolest thing ever. So I knew I wanted to go into law enforcement. I was overseas in Italy playing. I had a contract uh, for for multiple years and I had got a call from my dad and he said, uh, I need to tell you something. Uh, I've met with a doctor today. I, w- I haven't been feeling well and they've given me three to six months to live. I have cancer. Wow. Oh. So I was overseas. Uh, I have a brother and a sister. My sister had just started. She's a soccer coach. She played, she played as well. We have a soccer family. She was just gotten the job up at Princeton university where she coached for 20 years actually. And my brother was going into law school. So I was really the only one in a position that could get to my dad 
to be able to care for him. So I broke my contract. I had two more years and I broke it because I knew I didn't want anybody else to watch him. I didn't want to put him in a home and my parents were divorced. So it was a no brainer. So I, um, dropped my contract, dropped it, dropped everything and just went home to daddy. Um, so that was great. I was able to care for him in his last, uh, four months, actually, by the time he was diagnosed to the dime beat pass was four months. So those were very great times and very, you know, when you're with somebody dying, uh, it's very, obviously very hard, but it's also very rewarding mm-hmm. because you get to spend you know, the time that you wouldn't be together, you get to spend that quality time with them and just really get in life's lessons in a, in a short amount of time that you normally, sometimes I think you take it for granted and you just bypass all the important things. Right. Yeah. And it's not, and unfortunately, and, and I learned this lesson not to wait. And mm-hmm. we, we, you know, we waited, I was younger. And um, so, yeah, so it was, a, it was a hard time, but I'm very happy that, I was with him and he died in my arms Mm. and I knew that right then that I wanted to go into law enforcement. So, and I know, I'm sorry, I was debating on, I was debating on going federally because he was a federal agent and, and going local. And my dad, I had a young son at the time. I forgot to tell you that I had my trophy kid in Italy. Um, He's, I mean, you're with a bunch of Italians, right? Let's, 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 it's hard. Okay. So, nicely so, I mean, put. you know, they speak the love, they speak the love language. That's all I can say. So, no, we, we were friends. There's a story to it. But anyways, so um, I had a son and my father had said to me, you know, he, he's the one that kind of steered me away from the federal law enforcement because he said, you're going to move around a lot every three years they'll kind of move you around and he didn't want me to do that with my son so he said it'll be better to do local law enforcement where you can just kind of get in there that's where you stay and and your son will you know not have to be migrated around the country so that's what i decided you could set some roots in one location as opposed to exactly correct yeah so you you started applying did you start did you start applying in 1998 or or 99? I, I think it was, I got hired, I think in the summertime of 99 or no. Yeah. In the summertime, it didn't take me long to get in. I had applied to multiple departments, but it was around the time that I won't say everybody was desperate. That's why I got in, but you know, there were more openings. Like there, there wasn't like, there was a period where it was like locked down. If you guys remember, it was like hard to get in. There were freezes, whatever. I don't know. But around the time I was getting in, I didn't have a difficult time. So I applied, I think, four to five months before I was going into the academy. Mm-hmm. So yeah. and so w- one thing that you did, you went. Um, so you decided not to go the federal route. And that's a, You know what? I want to have a kind of a conversation. Minerva, we don't really talk a lot about the federal side of it, although upcoming uh, either I think our next interview is going to be with a um, a border patrol agent. So we're going to talk about the federal the federal background and the academy. They go somewhere. They don't go to Flexi. Yeah. They go somewhere else. My sister is a uh, federal officer with the border patrol. 
Customs and Border Patrol, and she went to Fletzy to the county. Nice. Yes. And That's awesome. So we're going to talk about that. But I think that the conversation needs to be had as well is that overwhelmingly we are, our listeners overwhelmingly go sheriffs or local PD. And mm-hmm. I don't think we've ever spoken to anybody that that went the federal route. And, you know, uh, and, and it's always their background process has always kind of been a mystery to me. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, I, it's so hard to, yeah, even like look, thinking back of all the background investigations I've done, very rarely did I have anybody who applied to a federal agency. Yeah. And then the one or two times that I did, it's almost like impossible to try to get any information or get a hold of a background investigator. Yeah. Secret squirrely stuff, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Right. uh, Colette, the funny thing that Minerva was talking about, when we would call federal agencies, I don't know about you, Minerva, but this happened to me all the time. I would call a federal agency and they'd go like, "Um, yeah, so you should be very fortunate that I'm talking to you right now. Um, Basically, I am a federal, yeah. a federal background investigator, and then or or we would get the thing that, um, yeah, we're doing a background investigation when somebody wants to be a police officer. Yeah, so we're not talking to you. Yeah, that's more what I would get. <laughs> Those are the two things, man. I'm like, okay, so yeah. I kind of after twenty five years, I just kind of go, okay, it was a federal application. Yeah. Here, uh, he applied. Okay, thanks, whatever. And it was a big nothing. Yeah, it was kind of like. Good for you. I'm glad you're doing an investigation. <laughs> Good luck. And then the federal, the federal. Uh, oh, one time they they have uh, they have um, what do you call it? Uh, contract background investigators. And one of our one of our I yes. think you know them. One of our um, background investigators wanted to go to the federal to the federal backgrounds to to be a background investigator. And his background investigator came to interview us at backgrounds because we knew him. And and mm-hmm. I swear, the funniest thing, I'm sitting there across the table, just doing a, it. Was a reference check. I was doing a reference check in an employment as an as a uh, uh, an employing person who worked with them. And so, anyways, we're sitting across the table, and the the, the background investigator sitting across looking at me, and she um, she goes, "Well, I'm a background investigator. I'm conducting a background investigation." And then she she pulls out her. She had the badge in the little case you know she pulls Uh, uh it out she opens it up and she pushes it across the table and i'm looking at i'm going oh okay so shiny (laughs) and she takes it back like and so i was thoroughly impressed at that moment that that was just an amazing moment for me but anyways enough of that (laughs) these are just the the background I never share with you, but I actually at one point thought about doing investigations for them, but I would have had to go to training in Colorado for a few weeks to get trained to be an investigator for them. Yeah. To do federal investigations. You have to be some kind of certified. You have to have some kind of certification. And and their yeah. reports are very, very, they're very long, their reports. And I, I looked at one of the reports. I go, oh, I wouldn't want to write this. This is so long and it's like work. And I didn't want to do that, but uh, they're very locked on as far as their the way they do them. They're very consistent. Unlike, unlike where we came from, where you could have different reports and different all right. kinds of stuff. So that's one. Good I thing. do have a crazy question for you guys as background investigators. Yeah. When you guys, when you have transfers and you're transferring from one department to the next, and you're the background investigator. 
do you give all the information over or, or when you, you know, when you're trying to, when you're kind of happy, this guy's leaving, are you like, no, he's great. <laughs> you want him, you want him. Or, or how does that work? Or do you got like, I know there's some, like, I always feel like there's some secret code out here where they're like, or we don't tell them anything or what do you guys do? No, because usually when you apply, you have to sign a waiver, right? And that waiver gives the background investigator authority to look at that officer who's trying to lateral or transfer to go look at their personnel, disciplinary and all those files. And they should be provided by the agency. Now, Are whether they? or not I, I, I've seen it done, I've never had an issue with do because I've done lateral backgrounds and okay. I've never had an issue. It's just a matter of contacting the right people, because like, for example, I did a lateral background investigation for someone for when I worked for my agency, I worked for Glendale PD and I had a candidate who was an LAPD officer who wanted to lateral to Glendale. Well, I could contact the background investigation uh, unit to look at his background file. Right. Then -hmm. I would have to contact the personnel department to look at his personnel file. And then I had to contact IA to look to see if he had any discipline. So you need to know who to contact. So it's possible that you if you don't know who to call, you may not see everything about that person. You just have to know who to call. And the agency like L.A. that is so big everybody's not at one location. They're all kind of spread around the city. So it, it can make it difficult if you don't know, but you slowly learn. Right. The re- I'm just asking because of the officers a lot out here. And I don't know how, if it's like out West, but on the East, they tend to jump around a lot. Mm-hmm. So we have had like disciplined officers that jump over to another place and they end up getting there successfully and you're just like how the heck did that happen you know and but it could they, be that yes if they didn't know how to ask and of course an agency who's trying to get rid of somebody's not going to say hey you may want right. to take a look at their eye yeah. or their disciplinary <laughs> exactly. file because i've had yeah. that like just with regular people who are not lateraling over where you get glowing reviews from their supervisor and their coworkers because you're trying to get rid of them, but then you go look at their personnel <laughs> file and there's all these write-ups, right? <laughs> yeah. And you're like, whoa, wait a minute. So they're just right. saying nice things to get rid of this person, but in reality, this person is not a good employee. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Yeah, and the, the background- I, diver- I digress. <laughs> the backgrounds for, for laterals are a little different. Because we try and mm-hmm. treat them with respect, they're 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 active police officers, but but the 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 good thing is if you have a good reputation with your agency, you can walk into probably almost anywhere. But if you've been a police officer for more than five minutes, uh, two three years, you can rack up complaints and things like that, and you just you've closed off every agency that you've ever worked for. Because one of the things that you see in the news a lot is that there was one there was one recently. <clears throat> I can't remember where it was, where, or you, you, you can pick anywhere and uh, something happens when an officer gets in trouble and then they go back to the background and say, this wasn't done on the background. And so the background, mm. you know, mm. the thing that people don't realize is that whenever a police officer gets in trouble, they don't go, Hey, mm-hmm. police department, what's up? They go back to the background investigation and see if we screwed up mm-hmm. because they want to pin oh, it on us. Interesting. And one of the oh, things okay. I liked about working for, for LEPD, well, it was just the way it was, was the background investigators were fairly autonomous as far as decision making. And if people try, th- people would try to 
have us change our recommendation. Like if we'd said, now nah, this person should not be a police officer and somebody who was, he because the candidate was a favorite of somebody or whatever, hey, can you change this on the, can you change this so it, so the person can get hired? And we'd say, no, go pound sand because mm-hmm. I'm not putting, I'm not putting my name on that background right. investigation. And then if he screws up, they're going to come back and say, I didn't do my job. And it's common. Every right. single time, Colette, some police officer does something wrong. The coppers in the street, they always go, man, what are you, what are you guys doing at backgrounds, man? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it always comes back to backgrounds. You know, it's funny. Like, I had already left my agency. I was medically retired. And like about a year or two after I got called regarding a background that I had conducted where I had said I had recommended in my agency, we were able to recommend I had recommended that this person not get hired. And I spelled it out. I, I had, you know, I the way like Ken said, my name is attached to this background. So mm-hmm. I'm going to write everything, you know, like I, I say this over and over as a background investigator, we're the fact finders and it's our, and it's our job to document those facts whether they be good or bad, whatever. It's mm-hmm. not a personal thing. That's just what it is, right? Mm-hmm. And so I had recommended this person not get hired, but they hired him anyway. Well, two, three years later, person's causing problems. Mm-hmm. So of course they call me. They're like, hey, do you remember doing this background? Yeah, I do. I recommended <laughs> that person not get hired, but Chana Command hired him. <laughs> now it's your problem. Yeah. I like it. So yeah. yeah, it happens all the time. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. In in response to your question, the 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 background investigators they'll check, like Minerva says, when once once a background gets done, then the <clears throat> then the, the police department owns that employee and it's not a background issue anymore. But when we're doing backgrounds on laterals, we gotta check IA, which could be separate. We gotta check HR. And then you you mm-hmm. call the supervisors. And it's amazing. It's amazing. Minerva was right that they go, you could, you could, you could look at a personnel file of a police officer and go, oh my gosh, you know what? Let me I gotta take a lunch break because there's so many personnel complaints in here. <laughs> yes. And then you talk to the you talk to yeah. their bosses who are trying to get rid of this person. So amazing. So amazing. Officer of the year material. They were like, yeah. Okay. That doesn't yeah. match up. Take and, them. And then yeah. some police officers, they totally, they scuttle their, their ability to go anywhere because they've built up this package uh, at this agency. And once you do mm-hmm. that, uh, then probably no department will, will hire you unless there was, and I don't remember where this was. I want to say it was back East color. You might know a little bit more about this where the, the um, was it Tamir rice? Uh, they got shot the little 12 year old in the, in the park. And mm-hmm. I, th- and mm-hmm. he, they, the officer that did that, he, he passed his background and he was a terrible trouble plagued officer from the agency they did that they he lateral mm. from and they the background okay. investigation they still hired him and now they're in the they were in the news because of blah 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 this officer should have never been hired mm-hmm. that's a background mm. issue that is a yeah. background issue well and i feel like it, it happens i'm sorry minerva go ahead uh, sorry, I was going to say maybe the background investigator did do their job, but his chain of command or her chain of command hired him anyway, because he can you, you know that happens all the time. And we say uh, this person should not get hired. 
you know, and then the people who make the decisions hire them anyway, you know, for whatever reason. And then it still comes back to background. But that, in my opinion, is no longer a background issue. It's a hiring issue. Yeah. It's Agreed. a decision issue. Well, the background Correct. Do- and a lot of the agencies are so desperate. They probably are just like, well, they had problems there. Maybe they'll be better here. We'll give them a chance. Yeah. yeah. And, and they, they I'm say, sure that's a problem. They save money because they don't have to retrain them. They don't have to send them to the academy and blah, blah, blah. And they do a short probation. Um hundred percent. Yeah. And so moving, moving forward. So, so you, so you, uh, became a, a police officer in Arlington PD in 1999. Correct. And how long Mm -hmm. were you there? I was there until 2002. Uh, the retirement system at that time was terrible. There were a bunch of people jumping ship. My best friend who I went to the academy with, she was out in Loudoun and she kept begging me those past couple of years, just come over, come over. A few of ours from Arlington had already jumped over to Loudoun. So eventually my when my dad died, uh, I started thinking about retirement. It's really nothing you think about in the beginning of your career when you're young. A lot of people don't even think of that. Yes. Um, but when I was losing my dad and we were going through all his stuff, it, it was it was um it was important. So, so yeah, in 2002, I came over to Loudoun and then I was there until 2021 in February when I retired. And that, uh, that's interesting because you bring up a very good point. You know, when I, when I was talking to Colette Minerva, I was telling her, I send out, I send out an outline just kind of with questions and things like that. But I, I tell her we go off script all the time and she brings <laughs> up a really, you bring up a really good, and I wanted to have a, an episode about this. Uh, most police officers who, when they first get on the job, they go, I'm going to rock and roll. You know, we're going to catch bad guys. We're going to go in pursuit and foot pursuit. I'm going to chase them down. I'm going to cuff them up and we're going to send people to jail. That's my <laughs> life. And they don't think about, they don't think about 30 years from now, what happens if you got to pay for your medical insurance or what's retirement going to be like and things like that. But you thought ahead of time that this retirement gig isn't going to happen for me with this agency and you switched over. Correct. And I'm happy I did Arlington. I mean, Arlington was a great department. It's just a lot smaller. So when I was jumping over, um, my best friend was just like, it's so big and there's so many opportunities, you know, for growth and you're not going to be stuck in a position. And so there are a lot of things, a lot of things that make made me say, okay, let's make that move. So we did. So I did. What and what I want. I want. Oh, sorry. I was going to go back and I wanted to ask about her academy experience. We're going mm-hmm. we're, we're gonna to get into that. We're going to get into that. It's one, okay. of our, it's one of our questions, I think. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is. And so what I wanted to um, uh, touch bases on is a question that I completely forgot because, <laughs> because <laughs> what was I going to ask? Um, I asked about oh, the- Oh, I'm sorry. No, no, no. It's, oh, no. it's not a problem. Okay. Um, so All let's right. let's move let's move forward. Uh, so you moved from um, from Arlington to Loudon, and oh, I know what I want to ask you: the manpower difference between Arlington and and Loudon was that a big factor? Because obviously, if you go to a larger department, there's more opportunities, right? How big was mm-hmm. Arlington compared to the sheriff's department? So Arlington, I want to say was a few hundred at the time. Arlington was double if at least double at the time. 
Okay. So it was like 300, 200 to 300 in the, in the smaller department and probably 600, 700. Now it's up to over a thousand at, at, at the sheriff's office. So it was a growing Loudon is one of the fastest growing areas in the country and one of the wealthiest. Mm-hmm. So it was a very up and coming agency when I had first started. And so, so there weren't as many people as we needed. <laughs> so what what would you say to anybody that that's trying to make a decision between a smaller agency and a, and a larger agency opportunity versus more family atmosphere? What's the. So it's really hard to judge what I tell people now is, and it's also a little bit dependent on for women. I tell, tend to tell them if you're looking at agencies, in their command staff, you should start there and say, mm-hmm. are there any women in command staff? Yeah. Are there anybody, you know, up, up top? Because obviously it's a male dominated arena. And as a female, you want to know that there's you somebody the up there. <laughs> exactly. Yes. I, my, I am a very firm believer. If you see it, you can be it. Mm-hmm. If you see it, you believe it. So if you don't, if you're not seeing it, it's probably not the department for you mm-hmm. for the guys. You know, I tell them there's a lot of military guys uh, that coming out of the military, they're trying to get in law enforcement. Some don't even take tattoos like at my prior department. You know, you have to get, you have to get approved. You have to show them all your tats mm-hmm. and, and there's other agencies that don't care, right. That, accept the tats as long as they're not, you know, you don't have something inappropriate on your arms or visible. But so they really need to research what they're looking for, you know, who they are and the progression of the departments. Cause as you know, there's a bunch of podunk, podunk still departments around. There's a, there's a sheriff's office nearby. I was talking to somebody recently and they're like, well, sheriff's been there 41 years. Oh I'm God. like, in my head, I'm like, <laughs> Okay, and I'm sure there's no women, and they're like, no, there hasn't been a woman ever. (laughs) And then you're just like, okay, well, you you guys are like 50 years behind the times, so so I always tell people, know you know who are you, what are you have to offer, and then you really have to research these departments because there's so many, Mm -hmm. and it's very important that you're you know you're attempting to get in one that is gonna you know be accepting of you and and pushing you forward to grow. I agree. We tell people, we tell our listeners to always research the agency, you know, like, especially, you know, as a female, you definitely want to make sure that there are women in command staff. So, you know, okay. They are open to women being in those positions as opposed to an agency that has never had any, you know, and I didn't, I myself didn't do that. My either that I retired from the highest ranking female was a lieutenant. And that was us. That was they me. retired a while ago and they haven't had one since. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? yep. But then I, when I started working with LAPD, they have female deputy chiefs and commanders. And I was like, wow, like mm-hmm. it was so eye opening to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Know? I wish somebody would have told me that that was one thing that and and my dad obviously was at that time he was he was old school so women weren't in full force in the FBI or anything like that so i didn't get that 
little bit of that little nugget that I wish I would have. But I do tell the women that come to me that that's very important because you want somebody that's going to see what's happening and understand you. I agree. Well, I want to, I want to bring up something that, that uh, Colette mentioned and we don't talk about it too much, but this, this issue of tats. So I want to ask you both. Uh, Yes. What are you, what are your opinions? Now I know we're all pretty old school, uh, Minerva, you mm-hmm. started in 99, right? Yes. And then, 99ers, Minerva. Yeah, uh, 99. <laughs> and, um, so let me go to Minerva first. And what's your opinion about sleeves and tats that are showing on in uniform? Yeah, I'm going to sound like an old lady right now. Um, <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it. I don't like it. Um, look, I know tattoos, you know, me growing up, the only people that had tattoos were gangsters, right? Or bikers. Those were the only people, people who had been in prison or or jail or the gangsters or because I grew up in a gang area. So and then bikers. I've always had mm-hmm. this fascination with like motorcycle gangs, like you know, the Hells Angels and stuff since I was little. But I I didn't think, I don't think it looks professional. My personal opinion. To me, it does not look professional. Um, I know the culture has come a long way. Now everybody has tattoos. I have tattoos, but you wouldn't be able to see them if I was in uniform. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. I remember the first time, um, I was at the border. I was on a call on the border of my agency and we bordered LA and this guy rolled up, this officer, this, these two officers, cause they write two man rolled up and one of them had a sleeve. And I was just like, Oh, that looks so bad. You know, and he was wearing a class B. So he was wearing a short sleeve. And then I was like, man, that just doesn't look good. And I know that my agency, when I worked there, we had a tattoo policy. You couldn't have any visible tattoos if you wore any type of uniform, whether it was a bike uniform or anything. And as a matter of fact, we had this young lady who was applying to be a dispatcher. So she didn't even have contact with the public. And she got disqualified because she had two tears in her finger <laughs> and one in her index finger. So when she put her fingers up to her eyes, it looked like she they had, it was tears. Like she was crying. I thought it was cute and funny, <laughs> but she got disqualified. But no. <laughs> uh, but no, because we had a tattoo policy. Now, I don't right. know if the agency has come, you know, gotten rid of that you know, that policies, because I haven't worked there for God, almost 11 years now. But now I see a bunch of officers with sleeves and both male and female. And to me, it just doesn't look professional. My personal opinion, it's not that I don't like tattoos. I myself have them. I just think in certain careers, they don't belong. (laughs) And you know what? Wear your class A's, wear your long sleeves. I know some agencies do require people to cover them up, even when Mm -hmm. it's super hot, because I've seen that. But I just personally don't think they look professional. So that's a no for Minerva. And Colette? That's a big no for Minerva. (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) I, I tend to agree that it probably looks more professional when you're not tatted up. I have a little bit of old school. I mean, I'm old school, but I have a little bit too in me. I like the idea of being able to express like I have a bunch of tattoos. And for me, 
it's kind of therapeutic and I like to see the art. It all means something to me. Right. I never got approval for one of my tattoos, even though we were supposed to, because I didn't feel like I wanted to ask anybody what I wanted to put on my body. Interesting. And I didn't think I needed to get approval for that. So I didn't. I just did it. And I would just cover up. So I would wear long sleeves at work, even if it was the summertime, because I chose to do it. But I also knew that without the approval, I would get in trouble. So, yeah. So I do know a lot of veterans have a lot of military personnel, obviously, that's big on them. And I feel that at least in my prior department, they don't take the tats. And I think it's a it's a huge loss to us because there's a lot of veterans, a lot of military personnel getting out of the military and they, you know, they want to land with us and we're denying them because of their tattoos. And mm -hmm. I think that that's a problem, too. So I'm more now towards it being OK, as long as it's professional and, you know, a sleeve I've, and Minerva. Now you probably see a ton of cops with sleeves. Yes. So that's becoming more acceptable. I believe the neck thing obviously wouldn't wouldn't right. look professional at all. But, yeah. you know, the sleeves and stuff, people are trying to express themselves and put their beliefs out. And and I think I think we should accept it unless, of course, it's something that we wouldn't want to see on their body. Yeah, I do want to add that. I agree with Colette on this. I don't have an issue with people expressing themselves, but cover it up then like in, you know, yeah. just cover mm -hmm. it up I don't have it like I said I have tattoos I don't have an I obviously don't have an issue with tattoos I have them but I think when you're on the clock look professional I don't think it also prevents people from doing the job you know to ta a tattoo doesn't mean a person can't do the job because really old school mentality is like oh you just shouldn't hire them at all or whatnot but right it doesn't prevent you from actually doing the job you know, having long hair or whatever the way, you know, your grooming standards don't really prevent you from doing it, but there are grooming standards or at least there used to be in some areas. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, I mean, we've seen officers with man buns and it's like, I know, I think it was a lot more stringent in the past and now it's kind of lax. Yeah. And I, I don't have an issue with people expressing themselves, but yeah, I think like you, you know, cover them up, you know, like when you're on the job, you know, I don't know. That's just me. What about you, Ken? Yeah. Or Colette, you were going to say something. Nope. No, go ahead, Ken. Uh, I was going to. I was going to say I agree with both of you. I I have tats as well, and I've had them for years. But um, the thing about it is, for me, with the sleeves and short, when you were in slow sh sh uh, short sleeves, and then you you have a full sleeve on your arm, it's not uniform anymore. Uh, the department does not all look the same. And the whole purpose of the uniformity mm -hmm. is to have discipline and all that kind of stuff. Um, mm -hmm. But And it's distracting to me. It just doesn't look professional. Uh, and uh, the, the and, and I've I've done backgrounds and, and had candidates that were hired on the job and with the full mm -hmm. knowledge that they would have to wear these these uh, wool uniforms in the summer in California that can get up yeah. to 105, 150. 10 degrees for five days in a row. And if, and if yeah. you, you go on with that knowledge that you're going to have to wear long sleeves um, and it's going to get hot. It's going to get hot. Yeah. Now I have a question for Ken. 
when you had a candidate that had tattoos, did you take pictures or requested pictures of their tattoos it, as it, part of the background process? It changed from time to time. But uh, initially, for mm-hmm. a long time, they would go to SID, which was where the photographs mm-hmm. for the police department were taken. When you have victims when you have victims uh, of crimes, they would go to SID and they would take the photos. We would send right. them automatically to SID. And then at, at for a short time, we would have the candidates send us photos until... Um, I don't remember what happened later on. Well, I left there in 2018, but um, so they were sending their own photos in of the tats, and uh, mm-hmm. so they'd have to mark them down. And then, and then it's not that they could lie about it because then when they go to do their medical, the doctor would write down all the tattoos. So if they sent if they sent photos and they were missing a certain tattoo, we would know about it. And so, yeah. Um, mm. yeah. We'd get the photos. Did you get the photos of the? Do you remember if you if there were photos, Colette, for your applicants of their tat- uh, of the tattoos? Yeah, I think that they have to. Yeah, I think they get all. You have to provide it. I think I'm sure now you have to turn all your tats in before you get hired, so they know. And then if you want more, you have to apply to show them what you're going to get before you have to get approved before you get it. So. And one interesting okay. thing about tats and backgrounds is we would catch gang members trying to trying to get into the on the police department, but they mm-hmm. could not hide their tats. Wow, and that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. The, those are those are things that when a cop sees certain tats, you know, oh, this is not interesting. Pretty, not right. So, um, right. Yeah, moving. You know what? I'm you gonna don't want to s- be that background investigator. <laughs> no. when they come back on that one. I'm gonna. Um, I'm going to uh, s- uh, skip. Uh, a couple of questions and I want to get to, um, to, well, first let's go into the, the hiring and background investigation experience. And then Minerva wants to know about the, the, uh, the old school stress and non-stress academies. And we <laughs> love having that conversation because Minerva and I just love having that conversation. But, um, do you, going back to your, your background investigations and, and your hiring process, what was it like in 1999 to get hired? So, like I said, my period of time when I was entering, it wasn't, it wasn't, it was a, it felt like a faster process. And so I was kind of jumping, you know, pretty quickly to the different things, the background, the psychological, the, the polygraph, which, woo, that was my (laughs) first polygraph. You coming on the job, taking a polygraph, like what? I was an athlete my whole life. So that was a little intense. I remember, you know, you don't know what to expect. And all you really saw was the movies, right? Of, of people having these reactions on the polygraphs and stuff. Mm. So that was quite, yeah, that was quite an experience. I remember them drilling, you know, on certain areas. Cause if you say like, you never did something they want to know, you know, they're like, I don't what, like you had to have done some of that or you know they keep drilling you and so if you're not used to that that was a little bit it was uncomfortable and it wasn't it wasn't fun (laughs) in other (laughs) words but I got through it obviously and uh so everything was fine but I do remember being pretty nervous about the polygraph not gonna lie (laughs) (laughs) did you talk to your dad about that 
Never talked to him about the polygraph. My dad was always like, if you tell the truth, you got nothing to worry about. That's his whole thing in life. <laughs> tell the truth and life is good. Yeah. So, you know, but it, it, and you know, you're telling the truth, but you're still when you're hooked up to a machine, this thing around you, your fingers there, this person's it's, it's just a lot. Yeah. So. But uh, but yeah, it was it was fine. It, I didn't I don't think I had to redo it. Right. Some people have to redo those. I never got called back. So I think I passed the first time. Yeah. So but yeah, it wasn't I didn't have a difficult experience in my background or or any of that. I think for the background of Vesker, it was probably fairly easy because I was a soccer player. So mm -hmm. it's like, how much damage can you do? <laughs> I'm on a field this amount of time. So it, I had it a, probably was, too, because you did live internationally. So true. there's that that concept part of it, you know, true. But them the tracking background. people down in Naples, it was probably not easy for them. So. <laughs> They're yeah. probably like, just hire this girl. <laughs> I did a background where the candidate had had uh, I think he grew up in uh in England, and I and they're like what they're like fifteen hours difference. So I'm call, I had to get in there early, like at five in the morning, to start to make a phone call to England. I had to call the city operator. City operator had to talk to her supervisor, get approval for me to make an, an overseas call. I call up a shoe store. I call up a shoe store, and I and the, and the manager answers the phone, and I said, "Hi, I'm doing a background investigation for a, a police officer candidate in the United States." And so I'm calling you from Los Angeles. <laughs> and he goes, oh, well, we're a little busy. Can you call back? I go, I'm calling from America. <laughs> what are you going to call back? Because it's a pain in the butt to do to do calls yes. to, to Europe and stuff. So I was not pleased. But I bet. <laughs> yeah, that's um, probably what they said about mine. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a love-hate relationship with the poly. I mean, we, we did, I think our third our second full episode was on the poly and i i asked the questions that i wanted to ask um but the poly is it like you described it's it's a uh, it's difficult for people and i just tell candidates if you want to pass the poly make sure you put everything everything whether you think it's important or not on your phs and then when you get to the yeah. poly mm -hmm. you're going to have your heart's going to be clean because there's nothing that's hidden and you don't have to go, should I, have, should I have mentioned that? Because you put it down. Yeah. I think the hard part for me is like numbers. They'll be like, so, you know, have you ever stolen anything? And you're like, in your head, you're like, shit. I mean, I probably stole. <laughs> I mean, I don't like know. But when I, was five. I'm sure. I mean, I got a lot of Kit Kat bars in my belly that probably weren't paid for at some point. Um, yeah. So, so I think it's those things, you know, right? Because you'll tell like, you're like, when you're thinking like five to 10 times, I don't know, but then you get in there and you're like, okay, I really want to tell the truth. Like maybe there was 10 more times. I don't know. <laughs> So it's like you're you're it's the numbers thing. I think that always got me. It's like, how the hell? And then you're asking me from like my whole life. Like that. That's a lot to remember. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's I think it's just stressful. I mean, unless you're a con person and that, you know, you can just go in there and lie. But I think any I mean, you guys would know. Don't do most people come in there nervous, I'm assuming, unless they've gotten like five under their belt from being other places. Yeah. yeah. I well, I didn't conduct them, and I actually never went through a poly. All these backgrounds I've been oh. through, I never went through a poly. Damn. 
you know. So, yeah. but um, Ken, you got to hook her up to one. I think that could be a good podcast. <laughs> oh, the podcast is her. Having the poly. Don't give yep. them ideas, Clint. <laughs> <laughs> so you That's you went funny. through the background. You it sounds like your background investigation was pretty. They were pretty straightforward. Your background investigator probably loved you because. You know, it was easy and you're a good kid. You were a good kid, Colette. We like that. Thanks, Ken. That makes me feel good. <laughs> and you played sports. And uh, yes. Yeah, that, that was probably so, pretty cool. So what was the academy like for you? Yeah. So the the so the academy, so athletically I was okay because I had spent my life just being physically fit. So mm -hmm. that part wasn't extremely hard for me, but the academic part was, believe it or not, and I know it's not rocket scientists, but I am a learner, 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 learner. Like you have to tell me, you know, multiple times. And I finally, I'm not the brightest bulb, but mm -hmm. I work hard. <laughs> so the, the Academy wasn't, it wasn't hard, but it wasn't really easy academically. So and I like to, you know, when you're a high performer, you like your, you like what you're doing and you want to yeah. please people. Obviously I wanted to do well. So I wasn't happy if I got, you know, a B, I wanted the A. So it was, it was, that was, that was actually the toughest part in terms of ours was more like, you know, militaristic. It wasn't, okay. I think that was one of the questions, Ken, it was like, was it, was it the, was it a softer one or mm -hmm. a harder one? And it, it it was more, you know, militaristic. However, it wasn't over the top. They were, you know, you got chances on your tests when you fail. Is that the same out there? Like you would, mm -hmm. if you didn't like get a hundred, you'd get another chance to make it a hundred stuff like that. Yeah. Like three, mm -hmm. was three it like times? that for you guys? Yeah. Three times a charm. No, I mean, well, I didn't get that. I mean, us was either pass fail. And if you failed, you had one more chance. And if you failed again, that's it. You're out. Okay. Well, I was double tap. <laughs> I was lucky. Because, yeah, we would have two, and then like they, they'd literally be like, "Okay, this is your third time. It's A. Choose A." <laughs> so, <laughs> so they, you know, they 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 wanted you to pass. You know, they weren't trying to fail you out. Obviously, if you had problems that many times, I'm sure there were there were issues. But I I wasn't that bad academically. I just wanted to get the hundreds. And, and so I studied a lot. We had a lot of a lot of study groups. We were always doing that. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. the, you know, yeah. the, the physical part, it was, it was hard because it's just different. It was different. I was never done anything like that. So, but I had a good time. I made good <laughs> friendships and we had a, we had a blast. We made tons of memories and I had a group of girls, actually, one of them's my best friend till this day. She's actually still works at my department and funny story. She was a division one, uh, cross country runner at Duke university and I played soccer at wow. NC state. Right. So we were both ACC girls. So, we have a mile and a half run to do before the, you know, at the start of the Academy. So I'm sizing all the girls up cause I got to beat everybody. Right. So <laughs> I'm sizing up the girls and I'm like, okay, I got her. I got her. I got her. <laughs> and then I see this chick and I'm like, okay, she's supposedly runs or whatever, but I, by the looks of her, I could probably beat her. So, 
So we take off on this mile and a half run. I'm crushing it. I'm like, I'm going to kill all these people. <laughs> and then all of a sudden we get on the last, like the last length. And this little girl, she starts passing me and I could not freaking catch her. <laughs> um, and she went right by me and I was like, mother, like <laughs> how the hell did she do that? So anyways she she she's my best friend now and so initially she we were total competitors and uh, now we're best friends so yeah she beat me she actually crushed me and and we we became great friends so there was a group our academy also had different people from different agencies it wasn't like just one academy for everybody it was about six different jurisdictions in one academy okay so uh the girls in my academy class, there weren't that many of us, but we connected and we're friends till this day, which is pretty cool. So one of the reasons I got into law enforcement, actually, with my father being an FBI agent at the time, the FBI was very close knit. I don't know how it is now, but our families grew up. There was about six families. We were the, my dad's all his best friends. It's funny because it is usually eulogy when he passed away. There were like six men and they were all like, John was my best friend. John was my best friend. John was my best friend because we literally grew up with our families and all their kids. And all of us are friends till these this day because of that. We went on vacations together, did all this stuff. And so in my heart of hearts, when I was when I was getting into this field, that's what I wanted. I was like, that's the coolest thing ever. Like you get to play with your friends, be with your friends, your families grow up together. I was like, mm -hmm. and, they, and they're and they're ride or dies, Ken. Rider dies. Right? Rider dies. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. So and and that's what I wanted when I got into law enforcement. So it was nice when I was in the academy and had these girls because that was really like I was like, wow, this is gonna be my it's gonna be my squad. Mm -hmm. And 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 they are till this day. So it's pretty cool. We're all at kind of different uh different departments, but my best friend wasn't, but the other girls were, but we all remain friends. So you make a lot of close friends, I think, at the Academy. I'm sure you guys did too. Yeah. Yeah. The um so. the academies are the interesting thing about this program, about this this conversation is that you retired after 19 years. Nine yep. So you yep. went to you well, went, 23 total, but from this last agency, oh, yeah, 19. Okay. That's right. That's right. So, so when we talk about academies, I'm, it always warms my heart to know that there are <laughs> academies in 2023 that are still as hardcore as they were in 1980 when I started and 1999 <laughs> when Minerva started when you started. And so there are still 99. academies. Yeah. Sorry. Not, did I not say 99? Yeah. I said but yeah, you know, we did. We just had to reemphasize. Oh, yes. <laughs> 99, <laughs> people, 99. 99. 99. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and then, but, but Minerva and I hear about, and, and, and LT, I want to get your opinion on this is that, uh, mm -hmm. we talk about this on the podcast. It, it drives me nuts to no end. Our friend, our friend Clay, uh, from the South, he, he termed it perfectly. <laughs> he called these soft academies, gentlemen academies. Gentlemen's Academies, and we hear mm -hmm. when we interview, um, we interview uh, COs and 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 uh, people who work backgrounds and at the academy um, about the academies from twenty twenty three now, and we hear mm -hmm. about how they're just like college experiences, and I think about 
some, some academy recruits marching through the halls of the academy with those little caps with the little spinner on top, and they're just oh like, my gosh. They're just, yeah, it's so exciting to oh go to the academy, Lord. yay for the academy! Uh, and and I yeah. and so yeah. so LT, give us your uh, take on hardcore academies versus soft and if you have, if you like soft academies we w- Minerva and I won't judge but tell us your take on it I'm just not soft so I don't like soft but I think the problem is when you have these soft academies we're really not putting stress or doing anything that these people need when they're going to be on the streets, right? If you make it all play and fun time and there's no real seriousness of anxiety, stress, uh, you know, just a mental tough thing that you're in, how are you going to prosper on the other end? It's, it's, it's hard to do. A lot of these people have never been in any type of experience to make them tough. Yeah. So this is their time to do that. And if they're choosing not to do it, I don't know about you guys, but I was a Lieutenant um, before getting promoted to first Lieutenant as a second Lieutenant, I was on the street um, with the newer, you know, now I'm older. I've got the, the younger crowd that I'm watching. And there were times I would literally go to calls and there'd be 10, 10 kids. I call them kids. Cause they're, they would, they're young enough to be my kids, but they would be on this scene and a bad guy or two are like standing up and kind of controlling the scene as opposed to us controlling the scene. And nobody, they have a hard time with their presence and verbally advising what they want specifically somebody to do, you know, without one person going, get on the ground, put your hands up. And the suspect's just like, what do you want me to do? (laughs) So I think that we if the softer academies, I think, are are terrible for our line of work. I think yeah. we need to have academies that are are putting our our brothers and sisters under pressure so they understand what pressure is. One of the biz- biggest things I advocate for and I tell the kids that I mentor, especially athletes, and I like to deal with athletes only because of the struggles you endure as an athlete. You are dealing with loss. You are dealing with injury and recovery and teammates and uh, everything you can think of. And it, it has a, I feel that athletic people or somebody who has a thing, like whether it's Minerva, what do you do? You, you do something, um, fighting, you do some type of fighting, right? Or no? Maga, long time ago. Yeah. So things like that. Yeah. Where people, you know, understand winning, losing, fighting when you're fighting, when you're not feeling well to fight and stuff like that. So, I think it's very important that we put pressure on and re- real applications on on our youth as they're coming into the or whoever it is coming into our our line of work. I think it's so, pushing people um, not only physically but mentally to have that a hundred percent, a hundred percent, the uncomfortable part, right? A hundred percent, and that, I think that's why Ken and I like the old school academies because you get put under pressure. You know, I, I didn't grow up in a, you grew up in an area where you were probably around a lot of military people and stuff like that. Right. So you're used Mm -hmm. to that, but not Mm -hmm. everybody grows up in that area. I grew up in an area, there are gangsters. That's where I grew up. 
one of the biggest gangs in LA. That's where I grew up. Nobody was mm. sitting there yelling at me. I saw other things though, you know, but I had never been yelled at like I did day zero, the academy, which they call Black Monday. They're sitting there mm. yelling at you like you're in boot camp, mm-hmm. you know? And if you're not, you know, that or being pushed, like, come on, you know, my yeah. last name was Ramirez at the time. Come on, Ramirez, what are you going to do? You know, like, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're, you're in this fight and you're like so tired, but you got to fucking push through. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And because it's your life, your partner's yep. life, somebody else's life. Right. And if yep. you don't get put in a situation, even in a controlled environment, how are you going to do it on the streets? Mm-hmm. It's going to be yeah. hard. And I just, yeah. especially right now with, you know, ever since 2020, you know, things have changed for law enforcement, mm-hmm. you know, like people don't care and they will get in officers faces. We see videos of this all the time. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know how to control, have self-control, first of all. Right. Mm-hmm. And then be able to take control of a situation but you've never been trained how to, how are you going to do that? You know what I mean? I, I yeah. just, that's, that's the problem I have with soft academies. Like you're, like you say, you're not being put in a stressful situation in a, in a situation where it gives you anxiety and you're like, what do I do? Mm-hmm. Like you're, you feel like you're cornered. What are you going to do? You know, and mm-hmm. officers need that type of training because you're going to find yourself in that situation and you're going to find yourself in a situation where you got to make split second decisions, you know, and it may be a matter of life or death, but you have to have the ability to do that. I mean, a, a big thing too, if you, if you look at the military and I am around a lot of military people and, you know, they'll say, you know, when they're, when they go off to battle, they know not all the time, but like they're getting deployed or whatever. So they know their mission. They know where they're going. They know the, what could happen in police work. It's a war every day. Right. Like you are going from call to call to call to call to call. You don't know your ass from your elbow when you're going out. What is going to happen that day? And again, that's one of the greatest things. Right. That's why we join, because we don't want to sit behind a desk from nine to five. We want this exciting life and and all that. But but we we fight a war every day here. And so if we think that we can have these soft academies and and be okay. We can't. We have to put the pressure on. We have to because we're getting the pressure every day. Right. You know, and you see the officers that don't do well. And and so we need to we need to do better. And especially in these times in your career, I'm sure you saw the progression of that. Yes. And the patrol officers or street officers, I'm sure like, you know, and as you promote it, I'm sure you also saw that and had to experience that. Now, um, you mentioned this call where there were like 10 officers and they were not in control of the situation. I'm curious, excuse me. I'm curious if you ever like talked to them or took them to the side and said, hey, like, what is going on here? Like, why, why aren't you guys being a little more, um, and for lack of a better word, uh, but more aggressive in taking command and having that command? Yeah, it's a, it's a big, it's a big issue. And I talked to my guys, I mean, we had Sunday roll calls and, you know, we went over this stuff all the time, all the time, officer presence. And I think that 
when you guys talk about the academies, I think over years, the academies have gotten a little bit softer. It appears that way anyways, because when they come out, you're just like your head's spinning like and you try to talk to them. And obviously the kids are a little bit different than the kids 20 years ago. So, you know, it's it's like a whole thing. (laughs) So, you know, you, you just try to get the and a lot of it's like it's silly things, too. Like you'll have one guy later be like, well, I, you know, he, it's his sector. And it's like, dude, I don't give a fuck whose sector it is. Just get there and control the scene. Yeah. You know, if the scene's not controlled, hell's going to break loose. So that's the main thing. So it's like you talk to them, but you don't know what's going through their brains. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So, so yeah, we regrouped all the time. And, you know, when you're put in charge of a, you know, when you're put in charge of a squad, uh, you know, you're just getting new people. New people are coming all the time, right? right? Nowadays, it's like you'll have a group, then that one's going to nights. You're getting new people. So you're constantly, it's a constant battle to keep them together and on board. But it happened often. It didn't matter what shift I, or when I was duty officer, I would be on all the shifts going to calls. And I mean, it was the same across the board. It was like somebody take control yeah. or you will get hurt. You know, the other problem is, though, is a lot of people don't keep up with case law. So you'll get a lot of people, they'll be standing around like, uh, I didn't want to put them in cuffs because, you know, put them in cuffs. It's an investigative detention. We'll move on from here. But you have to secure the scene before we move on. So it's a lot of those things, you know, going through their heads. You don't know it when they're when they're out there, but when they're talking to you later. So then you just got to regroup, you know talk about what we're doing here and go over the case law. And because yeah. I think people, when you're going through the, the academy, you get all this case law. And then as time goes on, as you guys know, not everybody mm-hmm. keeps up with case law. You had certain people that did and you, you would know those people right. and then other, other people that don't. So I think, and now, and we'll get on another topic and you can just shut me up at any point in time, but body cameras, right? We didn't have body cameras when we started. That's correct. <laughs> One of the main things, and I always tell people this, is if you put a body camera on all the doctors in the world, just say, and Mm -hmm. doctor goes in the operating room, they operate and they kill a patient. What happens all the time, right? And somebody, they get to review, you get a panel board, doctors are like, oh, I would have never made that move. That decision, that's what did it. He's going to jail for life. Boom. How many doctors would we have? Not many. Mm -hmm. They'd be afraid to make decisions, which is what's happening to officers. A hundred percent. My point. So now you've got people coming in, you got body cams on, you've got them not sure of the law, not sure the case law, and they're not sure of themselves, you know? So when they're, when they're coming on scene, it's like, okay, you make the decision. No, you make the decision. You know, I feel that. Yeah. There's a lack of confidence. And, and I, I understand, like, I mean, I, I do and I don't, I do because I see it. I don't Mm -hmm. because I didn't experience that. You know, I didn't go through that. Mm -hmm. I'm not a current, I'm not currently in law enforcement anymore. So things have changed dramatically since I retired. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Now you Mm -hmm. got, now it's not just your body cam, but it's like the 20 other people around standing around with their cell phone cameras recording. A hundred percent. And then posting it on social media, but not posting the entire video, only posting Mm -hmm. a little five, 10 seconds of the officer taking somebody down. But Mm -hmm. what happened before that led to that? And what happened? A hundred percent. Right. Right. But the uh, you know the public opinion and all these off people who all of a sudden are now 
experts in how to do police work. All right. Really cut the confidence of these new officers. A hundred percent. But going back to the original point, going through a soft academy is not going to build on that confidence or help them with that. Not at all. And there's not at all. We did an interview. I think it was with Jim Shumway from Oregon. We talked about the, the college atmosphere Academy and the whole premise of that, uh, or the whole push behind it is that they're trying to make officers more friendly and have them to understand the community and all this kind of the thought process behind that. But I'm like, the criminals, they're not going to some academy to make them more friendly to the police. So the criminal element stays static. That's going to be the same. Right. They're going to attack cops. In fact, more now than pre- mm-hmm. prior years because now it's like you see it on on YouTube or wherever, social media all the time, where where it's challenge the cops, challenge the cops, because it's really cool to be on video and look at me. I'm such a hard ass because look at me, I'm I'm Mm -hmm. challenging the cop and then they're not going to do nothing. The cops can't do anything to me. And you get Washington state where they, where the, the legislature came up with this amazing law where you can be stopped by the cops. And if they, if the, if the criminal or the traffic stop just drives off, Unless there's something it, going on, they can't go after they them. They can't go after them, and so it's it's prevalent that the criminals have have a lot of license to go and do whatever they want. But they're trying to change the mm-hmm. police culture, but the criminal element just gets bolder and more violent, and yet the the officers are now more under threat mm-hmm. than they have been in many many decades, and yet yeah. uh, it's the police officers that have to change. And these academies mm-hmm. are not preparing them for the types of uh, the environment that they're going to send them out to. But some somebody in some city council chamber thinks that, oh, you know, it's so cool to be. And then after I get done voting on this police bill, I'm going to go plant some trees in my garden. <laughs> like, Dude, totally. You have no and it's, not just the, it's, it's not just the criminals. I mean, I've seen video. I saw this video, the specific video, and I don't recall which agency it was where these two officers are fighting with this, uh, trying to handcuff this guy who's on the, on the ground. And this girl comes and starts twerking in one of the officer's face. And she's wearing such a short skirt that is literally her ass in this officer's face. And he's trying to hold while try- turning away from her ass. Cause it's in her face in his face. And I'm like, who does that and all these people are like videotaping it and just laughing. Oh, right? geez. And it's like, yeah. Man, like what is I going know. on? It's just you know, it's hard to catch times. a break. I feel at this point for yeah. the for the, for them yeah. out there because with it all is. the cameras and you know the people not listening to them and and all that and that's why those academies are crucial right yes. now to them because if you're not getting in your life, if your parents are coddlers, which a lot are, mm-hmm. and you know you're you're being told you're the greatest all all your life and then you get into one of these soft academies and you're coddled again and then you go out out there into the real world where ain't nobody coddling you, you know, you're going to have real problems. It's not going to be easy. Yeah. Well, Colette, you know, I have kids and my kids played sports, but you know, everybody won a trophy and it's like, mm-hmm. no, everybody doesn't win. Like there's a winner and there's losers. Like I, I that's, that's not how the world works. And I was always I so against that. Like, and they would, and other parents would look at me like, 
no, like they should all get, I go, listen, we don't all get trophies for participation. Life does not work that way. No. One person wins or one team wins no. and everybody else lost. Okay. That's how it works. <laughs> I always say, if you don't make your, your kids' lives hard, somebody else will. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you're not making it a little bit hard, you can't pick them up every single time. You can't make it better and put the band-aids on every single time i get it it hurts i have three boys when they're in pain it hurts but but if if it's not hurt now then somebody else is going to hurt them or they want to so, handle it they exactly just, they want to know how to deal to with pick it. themselves up right yeah. right yeah and we we get into this conversation we about the academies, but we spoke with a, an agency, I believe it was in Washington, Minerva, where they were saying they only do PT maybe twice a week, was it? Like twice a week? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. And it's That's like another an problem. That's another problem with law enforcement I have. It's like, how many... <laughs> I did, what is it, DMS freaking those, you know, you had to do them all the time to upgrade all your, your stuff and do the amount of time I spent on like this stupid shit. I get it. I need to know <laughs> that I got to walk with or a ho, you know, fire. I mean, there was all kinds of stuff in that thing we had to take about fires and water and uh, whatever. But it's like, it's like, uh, there's more important things for us to, to uh training you know like yeah. going over all this this stuff and there's there's so many so many more important so much more important stuff we could be doing um but yeah it's it's definitely we've got to change it and make it a little bit harder for these people yeah, yeah. so we're going to be right back i'm going to take a quick break and when we come back we're going to find out about colette's uh old school fto training um, from back in the day, we will be right back. Policebackground.net is the premier background investigation prep site with veteran investigator Ken Ryball, who spent 16 years conducting over 1,400 LAPD backgrounds. For more information, go to policebackground.net. All right, we're back. Um, I want to find out about your FTO experience because you went through... FTO at Arlington PD when you first came out for for the first two years, um, you were there, and then you went to the sheriffs. And in California, when you, um, if you're a sheriff, because Cal, and I know it's different um, across the states, but in California, the main um, uh, thing that the sheriffs do is they do the jails. They work the jails. That's their main priority, not patrol. And so mm-hmm. when they're, when they get out of the academy, generally they go to the jails for, what is it, been over like two to five years, depending? No, uh, I don't know. It depends. I used to be five to eight years. Yeah. It was a, it was a <laughs> long-term gig before you get to patrol. And then once they would get out of, out of uh, the jails, uh, they would have to go through probation, uh, an FTO uh, in the field. And some of the times they didn't hmm. make it and you'd have to get sent back to the jail and never see patrol again. Is, yeah, is that, I trained a couple of people like that. <laughs> was it was that the same? Did you went through FTO at Arlington, mm-hmm. and so you passed probation. Mm-hmm. When you went to the to the sheriff's department, did they just put you right into patrol? Yes. Yeah, I never touched the jail. Um, nothing wrong with it. I just that's not where I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when I transferred over from the police department to the sheriff's office, I went straight into patrol, and I had a fourteen day P, uh, FTO period. 
Okay. So it was a two week. Yeah. Yeah. But she had period. patrol experience. So that makes sense. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And a lot of times I was uh, in patrol. I don't know if it's a, if it's how it works in California, because that's the only place that I know. But a lot of times you, you could be a police officer for five years at one agency transfer or lateral to another agency and you're still going to be on probation uh, for x amount of time what what was your experience in in glendale maneuver with with laterals yes they were on probation for one year so it's a year probation even though they could have been a five-year copper um correct and so what was your so you didn't really do fto at the sheriff's department because you were pretty much already accepted in as a seasoned officer what was your fto like at that time was it pretty hardcore um did they go easy on you when i came when i came through with arlington it was obviously more stress because i was just starting out and Mm -hmm. arlington's right outside of dc it was very busy and so it was it was a lot of stress because it was something I had never done. I made it through the academy. But like anybody else, if you've never done it before, it's something new. And my FTOs were pretty hardcore. And so I learned a lot, which I was grateful for, because if you have an FTO that's not very proactive or <laughs> wants to get into stuff then your experience is you know, what they're providing you. Right. Right. So, so, so I was fortunate that I had really aggressive F I not aggressive, but you know what I mean? Aggressive on the calls that they wanted me to, to learn. So we were literally all over the place. So I got a lot of good calls in early. And I think that's the key, right? Even dependent on the Academy, because really when they get out of the Academy, they don't know their ass from their elbows, although they think they do. (laughs) And they're, you you know, it's not real life shit. So like, you know, they come out like they're ready to kick some ass. And it's like, okay, pipe down there, Pepper, you have a a little more time before you can experience. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, but I was fortunate and it was, uh, it was a tough time. It was stressful, right? Because, you know, you're going to these hot calls and then you're, you know, somebody's dying and then you're, picking up going to another call when you've never experienced this type of stuff before you're just like whoa you know sometimes you just sit back like was that guy did i really see a dead guy and then i'm going to this and you're just like Woo, okay <laughs> let's go this is fun <laughs> initially you know yeah so but i had a very good experience through my fto process and when, when i when i transferred over to loudon county it was a great uh experience as well it was 14 days but i already you know, it wasn't like I was a new cop. So it was more like a partner partnership at that point than it was an FTO process. So when you transferred to, when you worked at Arlington, were you a solo officer or were you always? Yes. A two officer? No, no, no. Solo officers. Yeah. And then when you transferred to the sheriff's, were you again solo or it was a double two officers? Solo. Solo. Okay. All right. So you're used to being by yourself. What was the probationary period uh at arlington so when someone gets out of the academy how long are the um, probation a year and same with loudon okay a year and a year yeah so when you transferred to loudon then you were again on probation for one year now that i'm not 100 now when i when you were just saying that i'm assuming i was but i can't recall i mean i'm assuming they had some type of probationary period but i'm not really sure yeah did they did they treat you did they treat you any differently like uh I know that some agencies, uh, cops will go from one agency to another and, and they'll like, poo-poo, you went to this agency, you're a boot here. 
<laughs> yeah. So no, it wasn't really like that because I had three other people from my other agency go over to Loudoun and my best friend was there. So, mm. and you know, when you knew you're working nights, I was on nights at Arlington. So I'm on nights and my best friend was on evenings. So we, we, we were on the same, you know, we had over lapping shifts and stuff. So, so because I knew all them already and they were in patrol, you know, they, we were already kind of friends. So I didn't have any negative ninnies when I was going over there. So <laughs> it worked out. <laughs> Sounds yeah. like that was like the best career move you made. <laughs> I know, right? Over. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a couple of Ken, episodes. How is it with LAP? Go ahead. Sorry, Ken, how is it at LAPD? If somebody laterals to LAPD, are they on one year probation? Yeah, you were still on a year probation, but your academy was, you went through a, through through an academy, quote unquote, for two weeks uh, like collected, yeah. but the only reason for that was to go and learn our codes because LEPD d- didn't use ten codes; they used plain plain English type of stuff. And then they there was just what was it six seven codes that they actually used. Everything else was mostly plain English. So, but they had to keep they had to get them up on the policies and things like that just to kind of add right. in get them in there. And the rest of it was they were on patrol for I mean probation for a year. Okay. So we did um I was curious. We did a uh an interview with an FTO uh a couple of a couple of episodes ago. I don't, I don't know if you heard this one uh with Julie, the uh the FTO of the year. Person. I did actually. I liked her. So she had she been on sounded badass. Yeah, she was cool. She had been on yeah. uh twenty five years. Um she she had twenty five years. She has twenty five years on blah. But um yeah. but she was pretty hardcore. Um, one thing that she did bring up, and I want to, I want to find out your take on this. She brought up specifically that the male FTOs would treat the female mm-hmm. trainees differently, like like with kid gloves. What was it? What was that? I got the impression like they didn't want to. What's the word I'm looking for? Get them. They cuddled them. They, yeah. You know. Coddled them. Yeah. Coddled, coddled them. them. Coddled them. Yeah. Mm. Probably cuddled them too. <laughs> Just kidding. She, the, um, <laughs> but a big. Sorry. Colette will be in the sorry. area all week. So, okay. um, so they, so they did coddle um, them. They, they treated them with kid gloves because they didn't want them to get upset type of thing. Right. That's what the, the, right. uh, the feeling that I was getting. What's, what's your take on that Colette with female trainees versus versus males? Well, I think in general, a lot of people, it's like coaching. If anybody's been around a coach or coached or the way I would coach Ken would be different than the way we coached Minerva, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And and if if there was another female or another male, like everybody kind of has their own mojo. And the hardest part is figuring that out. And as an FTO, I was an FTO as well. Um, in the FTO process, a lot, I think a lot of the guys that are doing it or people, I shouldn't make it guys, but they don't, they're not very good reads of, they do the same thing across the board, um, in how they treat each individual. Mm -hmm. And that's not always successful because Mm -hmm. I may not like you yelling at me and Ken may love it. Like Ken may get driven on me being like, get in the fucking car and do your goddamn job and he'll be like yes okay i you know but if if you if you did that to me i would be like okay shut the fuck up you're crazy like no like don't talk to me like that you know so i think that you need to really 
see who you're teaching and and go from there. And I don't think not everybody has that kind of knack. You know, they just say the same thing are the same way. And obviously everybody's different and you can't you can't treat them all the same, you know, uh, in terms of I'm not talking about treatment uh, in terms of how you speak and get somebody motivated and get them to learn. Everybody's different. So I do. And even I was a firearms instructor. And so in the same type of question you're asking, I saw it a lot at the range. So, you know, there'd be a, a, a female having a hard time. All of a sudden, you know, the guy's behind her and he's, you know, he's coddling her, mm-hmm. um, you know, so yeah, I think, and, and guys, I don't know what, I don't know what they're thinking, so I can't say, but I do see it. Yes. Where some of them are coddled and, and yeah, I, I don't know why. I think that they just don't have a good read of people and knows, know what drives each person. So they're just kind of the same to everybody. And I don't think that works. You know, interesting thing, Minerva, we didn't ask Julie about this, but what, what should be the response if you're a female trainee and you sense that you're not getting the full training that the guys are getting? Uh, they're not being as, as tough on you. Is there a response from the trainee? Like, give me everything you got. You know, I'm here for the job. Should they speak up? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of a tough situation because you're on probation and, you know, I'm old school. Don't talk to you unless you need to, (laughs) you know, but at the same time, you know, if you at some point you got to say something, if you really notice that you're being treated differently because you're a woman, then be like, you know, maybe have a conversation because I'm like, Julie, I believe that you should have some type but be able to communicate with your T.O. Like if you can't communicate with them you're really doing a disservice to your trainee as a TO, you mm-hmm. know, um, you have to be able to have some, t- it's kind of like your kids, right? You got to parent your kids, but at the same time, you want your kids to be able to come talk to you if they have a problem. That's a good point. Yeah. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. if that person, if your trainee doesn't feel comfortable to come tell you, like, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm be getting it easier than my male counterpart, uh, you know, then there, there's a problem. There's a communication problem there. At the same time, it does put that female trainee in an awkward position because you're a trainee, mm-hmm. you know, and really you should you shouldn't be like, well, you're not training me. Right. Well, what would you know? You're a fucking boot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so it's a really awkward. I think it would be a really awkward place to be in. On the flip side, there are women that use that to their advantage, you know, when yes. you see them training and it's all about cutesy and they, you know, and they get around in yeah. this arena doing that stuff, you know, and you're just like, yeah. well, that's not good either. Right. Because the guys could give two craps as she shoots her weapon. Well, they're more like, is she going to wear those same pants tomorrow? I want to know that. <laughs> you know, it's like. And as a female who's not like that, I cringe at that too. Yes, like, we, Ugh. of course. Yes. Like, girl, no. Yes. Stop. Right. That's the other thing. There'll be, you know, and I hate to say just guys, but it, whoever it is, is like they see an attractive female and they're one way to her. And then the, un, in their perception of the unattractive female, they're treating her a little bit harder, you know, I've seen. So I, and they may, it may happen subconsciously even, I don't know, but yeah. So it is funny when you see it because you're obviously Minerva's not many women. We see all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, And I don't think, and I don't know that guys are even aware they're doing it though. That's what I mean. Yeah. 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 
But as a woman, we definitely like we, we see it, it. <laughs> loud <Yeah>. and clear. <laughs> there's a there's a female uh, NYPD officer. She's she's famous on on in the news and social media. The one that did the lap dance on her lieutenant. Um, oh yeah, yeah. So yeah. she's she's still Way in the news. <laughs> she's still in the news. So she's got social media. Of course she is, and she does of all this course, stuff. Yeah. And people think she's a she's a cutesy she's a cutesy social media person, and she dresses in these these outfits, these provocative outfits. And she's an adult; she can do what she wants. But mm-hmm. the police department, yep. they um, they 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 made kind of light of the whole situation and didn't you know there was no repercussions for the unprofessionalism part of it and she mm-hmm. she gets traction based on her looks and her sexiness and all this type of thing so so she's mm-hmm. still on the job yeah she's still on the job she's still on the no. job well, and there's i mean there's look and she probably I, I, has an only fans page <laughs> probably, okay. she's probably lucrative i thought yeah. about it but i'm glad colette mentioned it uh, <laughs> <laughs> look i mean it's just yeah, that's yeah. there are beautiful female officers out there, you know, you know, and but you could definitely see the difference of how some women are treated by their male counterparts yep. when they feel one is more attractive than the other. Like, you know, uh, I think uh, one of the things Julie mentioned that, you know, after the interview that she said she forgot to say is that she was called like a Barbie cop, you know, oh, and, yeah. and, and you have those at every agency, although Julie obviously is a beautiful woman. Her demeanor was not that of what I would quote unquote call a Barbie cop, (laughs) you know? Right. Right. So, um, but every agency has them, you know? Yeah. That is true. That's an interesting. I always told my, I always told my female trainees, like the most important thing, because we didn't have a lot of females. So, you know, when you're going in there as a female, it's like, you know, everybody, they're all around, right? Because there's not very many females. Mm -hmm. So I always told them that you have to establish yourself as a cop first, because if you start banging everybody on the job, that's your reputation. So Mm -hmm. you dictate your reputation from day one through the first year. So establish yourself as a cop first, because then, you know, if you're doing whatever, then they're going to know you're a good cop. You know, you can do what you want. And I hate to, you didn't sneak your way through it. (laughs) I know, but you know, guys do it and it's okay. So I'm also sometimes, you know, and they'll be like, Oh, this girl's doing whatever. And I'm like, okay, there's 500 guys doing the same thing. So Mm -hmm. she's living her life. Let her live live her life. Unfortunately, in a male dominated environment, we have to do that. If you want to have a good reputation and establish yourself as a cop in this profession, you have to be a cop first. That's why you're here. That's what you're doing. And then the chips fall where they may after and you make your relationships, whatever. But but the first year is crucial for a woman in this field. And if you if you're lap dancing, you're a lap dancer for life. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to mention, <laughs> unfortunately, also for the men, the men don't get off scot-free because there are guys, man, I don't know, maybe you were, you were the, the life of high school or you're the football quarterback in high school and you're Joe cool and stuff like that. When you get on the job, man, you're not, you're not, you're, <laughs> you're nobody when you're on probation 
And don't get on the don't don't be some male officer that gets out on patrol thinking that you're still throwing that football on Friday night lights and stuff like that. You have to <laughs> act professionally and you have to be humble and you have to be there to learn. Because the whole reason, whether it's male or female, the whole purpose of probation is to teach you to get in a police car, confront people, and to to be able to dodge flying bullets. So there's no mm-hmm. time for you to be cool and to act like you know anything. You're not on the job. You're not a cop until you get that 12 months in and you get that certificate saying you're post-certified to be a police officer. So it goes for men, too, who think that they're too Yeah, absolutely. Too cool. But yeah. Uh, yep. let's, uh, let's get into... Um, um, the, you you mentor people who want to be on the job, and you 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 mentor them through sports. I I believe is what you mentioned to us, and that um, tell us about the mentoring part. How you're still, even though you retired, and uh, uh, one thing I wanted to bring up is that you you were a uh, the the cool thing about you is that you have so much experience in sports you were a uh, virgin you are a virginia dc soccer hall of fame member which is which is your sports connection you were a robbery homicide yes. detective um, you're a lieutenant on the job, so you come with a lot of credentials. In order, if people come asking you, "How do? What do I do to be a cop?" You're a really good resource. What are you doing today to uh, to get the new cops uh, on the on the road? So a lot of, I, and I do deal with a lot of females, just because in the soccer arena I was in, obviously, is a lot of a lot of women I was connected with. So their kids and uh, actually through social media mm-hmm. I've I've actually had a, a lot of women reach out to me from all over the United States and so I mentor them I, I've had a, and this is it's good I'm talking to you guys because a lot of them I'm mentoring them I like to listen to their stories and kind of hear where what they want to do what they think law enforcement is and what they want to do in law enforcement when they get in there right because some people are like oh I really like the investigative part or I really like to kick some ass at night or whatever so so talking to them about what they where they really see themselves in law enforcement what they want to do and then um i lost my train of thought um it's okay we're not sorry I, I lost my train of thought <laughs> yeah 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 um, mentoring mentoring um i i lost my train of thought because i was talking about mentoring them and what else did you ask me ken shit i don't feel so bad now (laughs) yeah it happened i think you you were trying to Um, see like get gauge like what they saw their law enforcement career as like you know what yeah and and where they wanted to be and like their drive and i like to prepare them a lot of them are worried oh i know what i was saying perfect thanks minerva brought me back to life they were yeah they were i have one for instance who has mental health issues right so she's on some meds and so she's worried about that like Mm -hmm. i don't know that's something i didn't i wasn't i wasn't um ready for and then i have one who had a little bit of a run-in with the law not uh, not any time in the in the recent future, in the recent times, but, but did have a little bit of a run on a run in. And then, um, I have a lot who's like, parents don't want them to go in and, and stuff like that. So I try to guide them and really tell them what, 
what law enforcement is about, because a lot of people think like, oh, it's just this great time. Like you chase the bad guy and and it's so great. (laughs) And you're like, "Uh, no, it's like the movies. (laughs) Yeah. Like a lot of the times you're sitting in your car, you're wondering where you're going to eat because everything's closed. (laughs) You're writing reports, you're writing reports and you're writing reports (laughs) for everything that you say and do. And then you're reviewing your body cam. And then, you know, so, so I like to, tell them what the job really is. And I, a lot of them, I tell them to go on ride alongs so that they get a little taste at the different yes. departments. If, if they allow that, because then it's kind of like, I mean, I also talk to kids that are going into college for sports and what college and where to go. And it's the same kind of thing. Like you got to go kind of test the waters and feel, feel who your tribe is when you get there. You know, some people, I don't know if you guys went to college, but when you're going to college, it's like you go on these visits and, you find a team that kind of you feel good around and you're like, oh, these are my people. I could uh, this is where I want to go. A lot of people do that. Right. They go on yeah. their, their trips. And, yeah. Yes. And then they're like, oh, I want to go there. And so I tell them to do those same things as best they can if they allow them to do the ride alongs and stuff like that. Um, but I really enjoy mentoring them and giving them a rundown of all the possibilities, because, again, if you see it, you can be it. Mm-hmm. And we need more women in law enforcement. And the yes. only way to do that is for us women to get out there and get them in the job because mm-hmm. nobody else is going to do it. You know, I mean, they do it with their recruitment stuff and all, but it's it's nothing like I think I don't know if Ken saw this, but I, I did a post one day. I had been I was doing a photo shoot for a women's magazine here in the area called Posh 7. And they were doing a episode on sisters and me and my sister both played soccer so they were doing this episode and the photographer was taking pictures the whole time and she was asking me questions the entire time and I was answering her she was very nice she was over 40 single mom so I keep answering her questions she's taking our photos we're doing this interview and then I didn't see you know I talked to her a little bit afterwards for probably 30 minutes well a year later I'm a lieutenant in patrol and I'm driving around I get a call and it's her And she's like, hey, Colette, can you meet me? And I was like, sure. Where are you at? And she told me, well, she pulled up as a she was in training. Oh, wow. Yeah. And she (laughs) was like, I I joined because of you. She's like, I saw you. You answered my questions. I wanted to be like you. She's like, so here I am. (laughs) And it was cool because I got two days off. Uh, I think, yeah, I got two days off for uh, her saying that I helped her in or or she came in because of me or whatever. So, oh, wow. but it was a cool experience and it really drove me to see that like, it's little things like that. Like the places you go in uniform as a female where people are looking at you and it's the little times you take time to talk to people that, you know, you never know. So you have to be out there. And, and I, that's why I enjoy doing it because I know we need more women and I want to get them in. So I have a big, it's part of me right now to do that. How do you collect, how do you think more women can be recruited? Because I work recruitment and we've mentioned this many times. I've even put out that I want to, you know, do a meetup with some of the females and I get like zero interest. How you do, get zero, zero interest from the girls on the yes. job or the, yeah, no, that, like, that's to, or, to, to mentor them or to answer their questions about law enforcement. Like, right. Ken, then I, I try to do like a meetup like a year ago or something like that. And for people and like, out of the job coming in or people already in the job, civilians trying to go into law enforcement. 
Oh, got it. So a lot of what I think, if you have girls, uh, soccer team, like youth soccer teams or a college area, it's really, I, I like the athletic girls because they're looking for most of them, you know, if they're playing in a college or even high school, higher level, even men too, um, they're looking for jobs. Typically, I say this, that are active because they're right. active people and law enforcement falls into that. So mm-hmm. I hit those those places and I get a lot of response because you'll ask people, what do you want to do when you get older? And they're like, I don't want to sit at a desk. I know that, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so and, and if you get in the their discipline too, a hundred percent. Yes, yes. And the common sense and just <laughs> getting along with people, their team, they know the team environment, which is important. So I really think just finding teams, schools, even high schools, you know, when they have career events. I mean, I go, I used to go when I was when I was still on the job, career days, I did them at all the school. They would want me because I was a robbery homicide detective at the time when I was doing them a lot and the kids loved it. And they, they would have want me back every year. I'd have to block my calendar for these like five, six schools because, you know, I would put the cuffs on them and talk to them about a case. I would pick a case and kind of guide them through it and have them answer the questions. And there's a couple girls that have now been in high school and they've reached out to me, want to get into law enforcement. So it's just a matter of getting out there and, and, and finding the arenas that you think will, will, will grab their attention. And I, I think sports is one of them. So that's my personal opinion. I had never thought about that, but yeah, that, that you bring up such good points about it. Yeah. Yeah. The cool thing about sports is it's it's uh, it gets you in shape, physical conditioning. Um, you can take the hits uh, a lot of times in sports. You toughen up, and it's a disciplined mm-hmm. environment and teamwork. Yep, exactly. And may- I have always found, and I hate to be biased on if it doesn't have to be you know, you don't have to be a high level athlete or anything, just anybody who's active in something. I say something is better than no thing. Right. So when you're involved with something, you know, you're, you're in with relationships, you're in with loss and picking yourself up again and failure. And, you know, if you're just a going to school and I'm not saying anything's wrong with that. I'm just saying that I feel that better officers come with the ones who are dealing with something. Cause they're in some arena that makes you tackle those hard things. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. That's, I never thought maybe, maybe uh, police departments should go recruitment at sports teams. Maybe that a hundred percent. Yeah. What's wrong here. We are paving the road for recruitment again, Minerva. <laughs> it's what we do. That's right. Um, colleges, hey, college sports. to help people, right? That's right. And, um, well, Colette, uh, switching over, I wanted to get your take on the challenges, uh, uh for police departments nowadays, because, uh, you know, we always go back to 2020, but it was obviously before that with the anti-police sentiment and, uh, the difficulty in recruitment, uh, coming uh, retiring as a lieutenant on the job, what did you see as the challenges uh, for applicants wanting to get on the job and for police departments trying to recruit people uh, more as as police departments are just losing cops in, in and they can't keep up with the numbers uh, that they're losing uh, with recruitment? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I think it is a very hard time right now. And we've talked about obviously body cams. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We've talked about and that is a huge thing. And I get I get it. We have them. But, you know, the more our 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 brothers and sisters are going to jail and and all that you know who wants that to happen who wants to be in a civil i had a girl reach out to me she was in the academy at the same academy i went to but a different agency she said i've been here three weeks and she said i'm just really all they talk about is i'm going to need attorneys i'm going to need an attorney Mm -hmm. you know for all these things and she's like it scares the shit out of me and i'm like well let's talk and so we did and she abruptly left the academy not because of me i didn't i didn't guide her to do that that was her personal choice after we talked but it's a real thing and so it's 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 not an easy time right now to bring people in and be excited like we were Mm -hmm. you know when we went in it was like this is what i wanted to do my whole life and i'm doing it this couldn't be better now it's like okay i've got a camera here, a camera here, a camera here. I can't say this. I can't do this. I can't wear this. I can't have this. It's like overwhelming. And then you, then you stop a car and you're getting berated and you stop me because of this and I'm, and, and I'm this, and then you're in court and then you're getting berated there. And it's like, everything is a hard time, you know? Mm. So it's just, it's, it is a hard time, but I bring them back to, you know, there is no better job, really. Like we are out here, we're saving lives, we're helping people. You know, there is no better, gra- gra- more gratifying job. I mean, I can't think of one um, that that you want to do. It's just a matter of getting their foot in the door right now. Mm-hmm. And um, how to do that is is a good question. That I don't have the answer to. Yeah. Is Except for just, you know, Oh, when I talk to them, I'm always keeping it positive. I tell them, you know, this is reality. This could happen. However, you know, when you're doing the job and if you stay up on current case law, it, it's not we're not brain surgeons here. Right. In, mm-hmm. in, in the law enforcement world, it's staying on top of casework. It's doing the right thing on and off the job. It's your integrity. It's it's all that. And. You know, as long as you stay true to those things, your your ethics and morals and, you know, we're fighting for those that can't fight for themselves. And there's no better job than that. And so um, but it's just yeah, it's just times are tough. So that's a difficult time. But at the end of the day, it is it is the great greatest job. Yeah, it's an unfortunate time, but it's a good career to have. It is. And I talk yeah. to candidates all but the time. But how to get them there, I don't know. Yeah, I talk to candidates all the time. And the, the, the thing is, is that they're, the common thread in talking to them for me is that they were born to be cops. They're made to be cops. It's a calling. I have it in my heart that I want to be a cop. And they know all the ins and outs of it. So um, just uh, like you say, do the right thing. And, and, and the big thing for me is research the departments that you want to join because if you if you do the research and there's a, a department that you're interested in, but they've been in the news because they because they don't treat cops good, I would not join that department. I just one hundred percent. Another way. thing I want to ask you guys because this is important. I think is what and, and something you can help me with because I've had the question that I told you I, I had a hard time answering. If somebody does have mental health issues. Um, maybe they're on meds, maybe they're not, I don't know, but what is, how does the backgrounds work in that respect? Like what, what, are you guys automatically chopping them off if they're on medications or how does that work? 
That's just straight part of the medical backgrounds has nothing to do with that. We can't even oh, okay. ask anything. That, that shouldn't even come okay. up in the in the background process unless, you know, they had it like an episode and the police came to their house because, you know, the question is, has the police ever been to your house? Make okay, you know, It might come gotcha. up in that area or some other question, but that really is strictly medical. And what are they doing on the medical side? Do you know? Or are they is that something that they're even allowing at this point or do you not even know? That I don't know. That's yeah. a can do you know? It's going to be a psych issue uh, with regard to that. So what Minerva is saying that if you, for instance, if you're on um, if you're on medication for depression or you have some kind of episode that uh, that has directly to do with your your mental health, um, the the background investigation doesn't have anything to do with that, and the background investigator should not be asking you about that. If no. if you have an episode and the police are called, the background investigator can ask you all day long about the police involvement in it. But the minute a candidate says, oh, it was because I was I didn't take my medication or whatever the issue is, the background investigator yeah. can't touch that. So it can't be like, what, what are your medications for? Like, yeah, yeah, I'm just curious if in our line of work, even there, they allow this. You know, some people, um, you know, like with the military, I don't think. I don't know, 100%, but if they're on meds, that kind of disqualifies them, I think. Yeah. Maybe? I don't know. It wouldn't disqualify you in your, in your background. Um, no. Medical, you're going to sign... But just you know, on the medical. In the same way you sign a, a release and waiver for your background, for for the background investigator to contact your employers or blah, 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 anything to get any information on you, you sign a waiver in medical for the same thing, for the medical side to get... Uh, to get medical records like mm-hmm. if you said i went to counseling blah 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 or i was on a 72-hour hold you sign a waiver they can send out that document to the medical professionals and get your records back got it okay and yeah. so and that was just a little tidbit i was asking because i had somebody ask that so yeah we get asked that yeah. we get asked that uh i get asked quite a bit on that um and so uh yeah that's going to be all all medical um and I want to find out now before we close. I want to I want to find out about mm-hmm. uh, some of your war stories and things. And and, and we call them <laughs> war stories, but really, your do you have any stories to share uh, about your experiences on the job? Because because a lot of times candidates they they we get a lot of information because what we see in the movies and all that. It's not like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 So, yeah, I have, let's see, I was, when I was in narcotics, I, we used to do prostitution stings. I don't know if you guys did them. (laughs) Okay. Now we, now we don't really do them anymore. But so when we started doing them, Loudon, like I told you, is one of the wealthiest parts of the country. So we would get complaints from the hotels because there was so much traffic in and out and they didn't want it at the nicer hotels. So we started doing these prostitution stings. So they would put me up in these hotels and on Backpage, Backpage used to have their like erotica section mm-hmm. where all the prostitutes would be listed in the area. Mm. Ken, you don't know about that, right? No, I'm, I'm just making is, sure. Is this? <laughs> okay. Is this? Uh, no, uh, I'm just educating. No, no, I'm just, you're just nodding your head. I was just making sure, you know, you it, haven't been out to the East Coast anytime in the past 10 years or so. Well, you said Backpage, <laughs> is so, that, is this like a little newspaper or something? No, Backpage was like, um, it was a, 
it was like Craigslist and all that. It was just another way to buy, sell. Oh, and, okay, okay, okay. and they, yeah. So anyways, they had this little erotica section back oh, in the day. And, okay, okay. you know, when you, when you went there, see, he tried to act now Minerva that he didn't know what it is. I didn't know. So I, know. I knew that, that yeah. Craigslist okay. was he played, rampant he did that with well. that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. It went Craigslist and Backpage. Backpage was like the backup to Craigslist because once they were nixing it from Craigslist, they found another route and Backpage was that route. So they would put a bio up and they'd have a picture that like similar body type, but never the face or whatever. And as soon as they would post me and I would have multiple phones because they would burn you on occasion. Once you started burning the Johns coming in, they would burn you. So you'd have to pick up another phone. So they would set me up in a hotel. I have my takedown team in the room next to me. It was an adjoining room. Mm-hmm. And so the alarm clock in the hotel room was my camera and they could watch everything that was going on when they came into the room. And I was mic'd up, of course, uh, in a little pouch thing in my in my pocket. And so when the guys came in, literally when they posted me, these guys, I mean, the phone blows up. It's it's crazy. Literally after these things, I was like, I, I didn't want to talk to a man for like a day. I tell my husband, just leave me alone. Um, but these guys would start coming in. And so they to them, time is money. So if they were paying for an hour, you best be ready when they come in because their hour is their time and their money. So they would come in and you had to seal the deal. So first of all, they would call and you'd talk to them about what they wanted. And then you'd firm up the price and all that. But it wasn't until the furtherance of the act, right, when they would come and we'd exchange money that the deal was sealed. So they would come in, I'd talk to them. I'd typically have red, black, and white lingerie on the bed. And I would talk to them about what they wanted. And then I would have them pick out a piece of lingerie. And then I would go into the bathroom and change. And when I did that, the takedown team would come in because then the deal was sealed and all that. So, well, over time, we would know the, the, the men when they would come in, it was a certain group but anyways when they would come they would come in and ready literally like taking off their clothes right right away it was like hold on (laughs) i was like please just wait a minute so uh, at the towards the end we had done it so many times and we used to be able to seize the money so it was like fruitful for us when they came in we would seize the money and everything so but when they would come in i would start to they a couple of times they'd be like you're a cop and i was like no i'm not dude take your clothes off because now i think you're a cop you know i'd flip it back well i'd have them naked and so that was kind of my thing because i knew the takedown team was coveted and i knew the guys weren't going to be happy when they had to come in to get this naked guy that had you know he was kind of excited so this one guy i had him and i was like over by the alarm clock and he starts walking over towards me but taking off his clothes well he had a his thing was ready to go and he's walking over to the camera and you hear the group. They're like, no, they're my takedown team. They're supposed to be quiet. So I had to like abruptly like get him over to the bed to pick out a piece of lingerie. And and I think he was just so like in a whirlwind, he didn't really hear him. I definitely did. And then he picked it up and, and of course they came in and he was completely naked with an erection and they had to lock him up. So 
Um, so but you we, messed we, around with your team by having these guys naked and I hard. did. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it started <laughs> off, you know, I would just wrap it up. You know, when you're first starting out, you're kind of nervous going through all these, you know, different guys and you're, you know, just nervous about your safety or whatever. And then you get comfortable and you're like, okay, I got this down. And so you start, you know, having a little bit of fun. So I'd always be like, no, oh, well, just take your shirt off and make yourself comfortable. Sure. Take your pants off too. And you knew, you know, I would just smile at the camera because I'm like, I know what's coming for you guys. Um, Yeah. So that was, that was a little funny story from there. Um, And then I have, let's see, there was also a kind of scary time. I was in narcotics and I was doing an undercover buy with a guy. We had no idea who he was and we knew he was a, a bad guy, pretty bad. And, and he had probably been to prison before, but we didn't have all the specifics yet because we hadn't actually met him. So it was one of those introductions where you don't know who you're meeting. So this guy gets in my car and we start to drive around and to do the deal. And they didn't want to sit, right? Because if they, they feel like they're sitting ducks, if you do a deal and you're just sitting right there, they always are afraid. So you have to kind of drive around, which we were doing. Well, my surveillance teams were around and a couple of them passed and he noticed that there were two white males with goatees because right mm-hmm. what do they do when they go into narcotics they all grow they their grow goatees the yeah <laughs> well if you've been to prison they know who their surveillance guys are because they're sitting in prison they know who locked them up they know that all the cops have goatees so he was in the car well my wire they couldn't hear my wire um mm-hmm. the wire got caught up so I'm driving around this guy. He passes a surveillance team. He thinks I'm a cop. So he, he says, I saw that surveillance team. I know you're a cop. And I was like, I, I'm not a cop. I was like, I am not a cop. And he starts, as I'm driving, he starts like feeling all around me thinking I have a wire. He tries to go down my pants. He's, he, he actually did make it up my shirt and just, he, he was feeling for a wire. He wasn't molesting me or anything like that but you could tell he was he was feeling for a wire but obviously when he was trying to go down my pants I wasn't quite sure what he was doing but (laughs) but anyways we I had to I said my bus signal and nobody was coming they were I was gonna have them just take the car down Mm -hmm. uh, but nobody could hear me and I didn't know that (laughs) so um, I'm kind of like I said my bus signal and he's still thinking I'm a cop. I'm trying to flip it back on him. It's kind of a pretty intense moment. Um, you know, his hand was like his, his hand kept going back to the back the whole time I was with him. So I was just like, I didn't know what to do. Cause I was like, this may be my time, um, for a couple seconds there. And then surprisingly, as we're driving, he does the deal with me. And this is after he suspects the cop at this point, I had kind of flipped it on him that he's the cop and he set me up. Um, and so we kind of went back and forth like that. It was about eight and a half minutes. And I'll never forget oh them. The longest yeah. eight and a half minutes. A hundred percent. And we finally make it back to the parking lot. And he did the deal, which I was surprised. He didn't pull out a weapon or anything, which I was surprised because he kept reaching back. I knew he had a weapon. I mean, he had to have had a weapon. But. I I didn't know for sure. He never displayed it. And so I ended up, we ended up stopping because it was where we started and he was supposed to get out. But then he's trying to do more to me. He's like, Hey, I just want to, 
I'm just going to, let me feel that again. Like he wanted to come back to my body. And I was like, no, I was like, I'm pregnant. I was like, I can't, I'm pregnant. I've already lost two babies. I'm not losing this one. I was like, get the fuck out of my car. I'm done. I was like, this isn't even for me. It's for my man. And, you know, just giving him the regular schmeal. And he got out of the car and I was I was just shaken. I was like, holy shit. All that adrenaline. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Because it's like, you know, you're taking on, you're not who you are or who you say, you know, you're not, I'm not this cop in this undercover capacity. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to have your schmeal down and you got to be able to be quick and you got to be able to say it quick and, you know, not, it, it was a lot. It was a lot. And so I remember we got back and all the guys were like, holy shit. Because they were like, you know, they they would catch little glimpses of the wire, but it wasn't consistent. So, like, they couldn't hear me call the bus signal. They could only hear him saying, like, you're a cop. And then so it was it was a heated thing. I was like, you know, it was a whole learning lesson for everybody. It was it wasn't it wasn't great. But anyways, I made it. I made it. And um, we ended up I didn't think the guy was going to do another deal because I thought for sure he thought I was a cop, even though he did the deal, whatever. He Mm -hmm. called back and he wanted to do another deal. And of course, uh, my my people wouldn't let me go to meet them, but they agreed to set up a deal so they could take them down. And that's what we did. But but yeah, so that was my little narc story and my prostitution story. So well, I love hearing these stories. Well, narco is narco scary when I when I yeah. see the narco stuff. We'd see the narco guys all the time. But uh, whenever you hear stories about these uh, these deals being made and stuff like that, and you can't carry a mm-hmm. weapon or whatever it is, mm-hmm. that's just like, yeah. now, I don't think that's my thing, man. <laughs> yeah, I feel like guys would have it so much harder to be a narc because you're you're you know you're you're a guy amongst predominantly uh, male dealers, you know, I'm not saying all male, but a lot of the ones we dealt with when I was in narcotics. So as a female, it was a little bit easier, I think, because, you know, it's not typical, at least out here where I work, where, you know, there's women dealing, you know, um, or it's easier to buy and sell as a female. Yeah. Maybe that's not true out there, but so it's easier to play the role probably yeah yeah exactly i feel like for guys guys. it's a little bit exactly so i feel like they're always like sizing each other up with that type of stuff so (laughs) (laughs) um in in closing um we always ask uh, our guests what words of wisdom they would have because uh obviously um being a police officer isn't as popular as it once was. And sometimes it can cause divisions with friends and family and things. And what words of wisdom would you have for somebody that still wants to still wants to stay the course and become a police officer? My advice is to stick to your path and, you know, pen your own story. Don't let other individuals pen it for you. It's your life. You know what you want to do. And don't let anybody stop you. And, you know, it is a hard profession, but it's the most gratifying uh, profession out there. And you're you're helping people all the time, whether you know it or not, even on simple calls, just your presence sometimes is, is all it takes. And that, you know, if it's what you really want to do, then there's no other option. You just make it work. And I think if you put that in your brain, um, then you'll be successful. Like no matter what you pick yourself back up, you may not, maybe you have to try another department even, right? Maybe you get 
turned down by one department and you need to try another. And so keep doing it, you know, and I think it's about perseverance and, you know, because not every process is perfect. As you guys know, doing backgrounds, like things come up all the time and nobody's perfect. So if you have something that you may, maybe you, there's something in your background that you're afraid of, you know, talk, go in and just throw your application in there, be able to talk to a background investigator like you guys and, and figure it out if you're able to do it or not. But um, I'm a firm believer in if you want to do it, anything is possible and you can do it. So just stay focused, stay on the course and don't give up till you're there. Yeah. And I talk to a lot of candidates and they tell me no matter what, this is what they want to do. And Minerva, I meant to tell you, I got two emails, two emails recently yeah. where the where the people said, I applied five, six years ago and I gave up on my dream. But after listening to your podcast, I'm starting up again because I know I well, can yeah. do this. Yeah. That's awesome. So that's yeah. pretty cool. Your podcast, just so you know, you guys are doing a very good th I've never even heard until Ken reached out to me I was like please applicant podcast like this is great who we should be do this should be all over the place like are you kidding me this is the greatest thing ever and then just listening to you guys and you guys do just really great job I'm, I'm not just saying that because I'm, I'm here with you guys like it's very important that you guys and you guys aren't even on the job anymore like you're doing this to give back and I'm glad that people, more people are listening to this because it's very important and you guys are doing a very important job for the profession. For that, I thank you. Uh, well, thank so. you. Thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, it means a lot. Somebody, and, and recently also somebody said, uh, the reason I enjoy your podcast is because you guys are honest, you know, and, and we don't, we don't pull any punches and we, and I want people to know the good, the bad, and the ugly about police work because then they can make a conscious choice about if that's what right. they want to do. Um, so I think our honesty is important to people. And it's not for everybody, and somebody may think it is, and then they, they listen to the podcast or they start applying They go, yeah, I don't think I want to do this. And I think that's important as well as hyping people up about the job. Yes. Um, we want people to have a realistic idea of what this job is, true. you know, not to have the fantasy Hollywood idea that movies portray or TV shows portray. Like we keep it honest, we keep it real. And there's no shame in saying, hey, you know what? Maybe this isn't for me. Yeah. There's no shame in that either. That's correct. That's true. Yeah, we want the people. I mean, you want your partner to be somebody who's secure and 100% why they want to be here, right? Right. Not like 20% somewhere else and 80% with us. Like we need 100% so that we know as a team, you know, we got this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we try to make it a, a point also to show that there are other opportunities, not just sworn. Like there's other civilian positions within law enforcement agencies that they can work at if they don't want to go fully sworn. 100%. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much, Colette. This has been an incredible interview, and I hope we've met yes. your expectations of, <laughs> of, uh, of being a guest on the podcast. And Colette, she, when they got a hold of her, she started listening to the, to the podcast, Minerva, and she's now a fan of the podcast. I see that. She said 100%. That. I'm excited. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I will, I will say I've listened to all the female ones first. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. But like Sergeant Betsy Smith, she's a badass. Oh my yeah. gosh. Like, she's so cool. 
she's a badass. I mean, all the women you guys, I mean, the guys too, I've listened to the guys too. I just started with the women, but they're, everybody's been amazing. So hopefully I didn't ruin that for you. No, no. <laughs> you guys have been no. great though. It's been great. So, yeah. Uh, so Minerva, you have anything else? No, I've, I've had a fun time talking to Colette. I'm glad that she curses. She has a potty mouth just like me. <laughs> so Yeah, that's a fact. Like that's that. a fact. I was like, okay, I'm not the only one. That's a fact, yeah. Uh, so I've really, really enjoyed this. I have other questions I wish I could ask, um, you know, for me personally, and maybe you and I can, you know, hook up some and talk Absolutely. over the phone. But yeah. I'm curious what it was like to grow up under, you know, with a dad who's an FBI agent like that. I'm sure there's some stories yeah. there. Yeah, so. that was a tough one, too. Well, we're going <laughs> to. Yeah. A lot of my toughness came from him. We'll do a part two with Colette. And we have there's yeah. so much topical stuff we could talk to Colette about because of her background, her experience, her years on the job. Yeah. Her going to uh, uh, the rank of lieutenant and then the different assignments that she's worked we could spend we could do a colette we could do a colette <laughs> podcast and it's all about colette and there's so many episodes in that but oh, if you colette. if you would like if you would like we would like to have you come back and do a part two at some point where we just and we'll yeah. just come up with the topics and we might even ask our um our listeners what do you want to talk to colette about and then we'll just uh, we'll just do a part two coming up yeah send us yeah. your questions yeah send like us your it. questions for colette and uh i think that would be another great episode so uh with that thank you the first uh, interview of 2023 um season three is in the bag and uh we will yeah. be back <laughs> so we'll be Sorry. back uh, little things make me excited <laughs> I think it would be so much fun to party with Colette she'd be a fun 99 yeah. <laughs> 99, <laughs> 99. <laughs> alright guys thank you so much uh, we will be back in a couple of weeks thanks for listening to the police applicant podcast we are the premier police background prep site in the U.S. and Canada. For more information on scheduling your police background consultation, go to policebackground.net. Also, please leave us a review on iTunes.